Um, we're going to speak today on the subject, for those of you taking notes, on the subject of bondage and deliverance. Bondage and deliverance. Now, for many of you know, we are in the year of the Bible series, and we are on creation and covenant, which is what you see up on the screen. It's part one. And this is actually our very last week in this particular portion of the year of the Bible, because next week we move on to our brand new part of the series. And so I want to encourage you, if you haven't had an opportunity, I know Joy's got one here on the front row, but we have these packets that we give out at the start of every new section in this series throughout the whole year. By the time this series is done, you will have, uh, I think, roughly six, is it six different packets that are gonna help you understand your Bible. So next week when you come, uh, you'll be getting a brand new packet which lays out a bunch of content, a bunch of material. And next week's message, I wanna encourage you to be here if you can in person or online, is gonna be on the 10 commandments. I think for people who don't go to church, they, they know of the 10 commandments, they see it a certain way. And uh, I cannot wait to talk about um, how good God is in the midst of the 10 commandments next week. But we start our brand new section of that, so it's gonna be good. But today's on bondage and deliverance. Let's remind ourselves of this key fact. We believe the Bible is a unified, uninterrupted story that leads to Jesus. And because I want some interaction here today, and because I love hearing your voice more than mine, and everyone said, hey, don't get too excited about that. Uh, let's say that together on the count of three. One, two, three. The Bible is a unified, uninterrupted story that leads to Jesus. One more time. The Bible is a unified, uninterrupted story that leads to Jesus. You guys sound good here today. So today's going to be 15 chapters in the book of Exodus. And some of you are like, wait a minute. Are we reading 15 chapters in Exodus? Nope. <laughs> We're not doing that. However, I'm going to take you through it in about 10 minutes. And the reason we're going to do that is because if you're following along with us on the Read Scripture app, on January the 17th, you would have started reading Exodus chapter 1, and then you would have been done about seven days later. So I realized that's about a month ago that a lot of you begin to read that. And let me just say this. If you're reading the Bible in the year and you've fallen off, pick it right back up and start where we are, okay? Get the Read Scripture app, start it up again. Don't worry about getting caught up. Just pick it back up, begin again. I promise you, you will never waste a moment in the Bible. And everyone said, amen, amen. you'll never waste it. So just pick it back up again. Don't beat yourself up. Start reading God's word day in and day out. It'll be a benefit. But today, we're gonna do some reading. So I wanna welcome you to story time with Pastor Rich. Um, I hope you enjoy it. Um, we won't put on any background music because some of you, you might fall asleep. I might fall asleep, but I'm gonna take you through 15 chapters. We're gonna put the scriptures up on the screen. We're gonna read it together. And here's how it goes. Exodus chapter one, verse eight. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, look, the people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And it happen in the event of a war that they also join our enemies and fight against us. And so go up out of the land. Therefore, verse 11, they set taskmasters over them. Now watch here. To afflict them with their burdens. And they built for Pharaoh supply cities, verse 12, but the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and the more they grew. And they were in dread of the children of Israel. Verse 13, so the Egyptians made the children of Israel serve with rigor. 
And when they made their lives bitter, now watch, with hard bondage. Say hard bondage. In mortar, in brick, and in all manner of service in the field. And all the service in which they made them serve was with rigor, meaning this was very hard labor. From sunup to sundown, you worked, you worked, you worked. Chaotic scene. Then we get to chapter two and Moses is born. We know the story. He's placed in the basket, goes down the river, gets all caught up. That's really all we see in the childhood of him. And he grows up. And then we get to Exodus chapter two, verse 11. Now it came to pass in those days when Moses was grown that he went out to his brethren and looked at their burdens. Notice he looked, he saw something, he was aware. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brethren. So he looked this way and that way, and when he saw no one, you ever done that before you did something wrong? Look both ways. He saw no one, and he killed the Egyptian, and he hid him in the sand. We pick it back up in chapter two, verse 23. Now it happened in the process of time that the king of Egypt died, and then the children of Israel groaned because of the bondage, and they cried out, and their cry came up to God because of the bondage. So God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham and with Isaac and with Jacob. That's a good name right there. And God looked upon the children of Israel and he acknowledged them. From that point on, we then see the story of Moses and the burning bush. So the story's progressing on. Chapter three, verse seven. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt. And I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrow. So, watch here, I love this. I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to do good in large land to a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites and the Termites. Verse nine, therefore behold the cry of the children of Israel has come to me. I just made that part up, by the way. And I've also seen the oppression. They were probably there. Well, if they weren't there, they're getting ready to come up in the plagues. So uh, the Egyptians are oppressed. So come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Notice the words of God. I will deliver them, and he is specific. I am going to bring them up out of the land of Egypt. God gives no idle word. He knows exactly what he's doing. So God gives a clear command to Moses being a part of delivering God's people. For those of you in the old days of American Idol, let my people go. Yeah, look it up, it's really good. Then we get to Exodus chapter four, verse 18. Moses goes to Egypt and he encounters Pharaoh. Now he's going up with a guy by the name of Aaron because through that chapter, my mom loves this story years ago. I did a Bible story in her house when Vanessa was in high school because I was a junior high youth pastor and I talked about the man with three buts. And I'm not talking about what you're sitting on. I'm talking about Moses saying, but God, but God, but God. So God goes, you know what? Fine. I'll give you Aaron. Now go see Pharaoh. Translation, your excuses won't get you very far when God gives you a specific assignment. That's just a mini lesson for you right there. Exodus chapter five, verse one, continuing on. I told you story time with Pastor Rich. Got to keep it in tree and got to keep going. So afterward, Moses and Aaron they went in the, and they told Pharaoh, thus says the Lord. Watch here. <laughs> thus says the Lord. Who are they speaking to again? Remember that. Because a lot of us, we read later on and we see scriptures like God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And we think, well, that's pretty mean of God. God didn't start the process. 
Pharaoh did. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, let my people go that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. Thought that was funny. Why not just be in the promised land already? Ah, wilderness. Man, there's so many stories here. (laughs) And Pharaoh said, who is the Lord? That I should obey his voice to let Israel go. I do not know the Lord, nor will I let Israel go. Chapter five, verse four. Then the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people from their work? Get back to your labor. And Pharaoh said, look, the people of the land are many now, and you make them rest from their labor. So the same day, Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their officers saying, you shall no longer give the people straw to make brick as before. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. He has just made their lives even harder than it already was. And you shall lay on them the quota of bricks which they made before. You shall not reduce it. Pharaoh's making it harder, for they are idle. Therefore they cry out, saying, let us go and sacrifice to our God. Let more work be laid on men, that they may labor in it, and them not regard false words. Chapter, 20, or chapter 5, verse 22. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, Lord, why have you brought trouble on this people? Why is it you have sent me? He went from but, now he's going Why? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to his people. Neither have you delivered your people at all. So Moses is going, what's going on here, God? The people are in bondage. Life's difficult. You told me to go to Pharaoh. He says he don't know you, and he makes life harder. So Moses as a leader, as a deliverer, as a guy who was always looking at other people. Earlier on in Exodus, we know a guy was being treated wrong, so Moses took it in his own hand and killed a guy. But a little bit later on, we know that he had an encounter with shepherds who, who didn't want to give water to people, and he was like, no, 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 we're helping people. At the heart of Moses, Moses is a guy who just wants to help. But now he's frustrated. He's frustrated because he's done everything God wants him to do. He said what he needed to say to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh's like, no. So then God comes in in Exodus chapter six, verse one, watch here. Then the Lord said to Moses, now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand, he will let them go. And with a strong hand, he will drive them out of the land. And God spoke to Moses and said, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, Lord, I was not known to them. I have also established my covenant, big word with them, to give them the land of Canaan, the land of their pilgrimage, in which they were strangers. And then God, recognizing again, verse five, and I have also heard the groaning of the children of Israel, from whom the Egyptians keep in bondage. And I have remembered my covenant. Therefore, say to the children of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. Here's the promise. I will rescue you from their bondage and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. I will take you as my people and I will be your God. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God who brings you out from under the burden of the Egyptians. And I will bring you into the land which I swore to give Abraham and Isaac and Jacob 
and I will give it to you as a heritage. I am the Lord. Verse nine. So Moses spoke thus to the children of Israel. Watch here. But they did not heed Moses because of the anguish of spirit and cruel bondage. Man. Now, if you were in tremendous bondage and a servant of the Lord said, God spoke to me and God said, and he promised deliverance. Would you receive that? I think we all would. We'd say, well, yeah, absolutely. This gives you a picture. Friends, look at me real quick. This gives you a picture of how hard this bondage was and how deep it was. It's hard for us sometimes to really understand what they're going through because of where we live. We've never been a slave to something like this or anything. So it's hard for us to go like, it's easy for us to say, well, yeah, take, take it. God's gonna free you. But you wanna know how hard their spirits were or, or, or how down they were? Even in the midst of truth and God speaking himself, couldn't hear it. Couldn't hear it. It's funny though, huh? You ever been really down about life and someone say something to encourage you? It didn't really help. That's what I want you to understand about this right here. It's the person that you know loves you and cares about you saying, hey, it's gonna be okay, and God's good, and us faking it, saying, yeah, yeah, I know. But deep down, no, it's not. It's the same mentality that says, hey, God still heals today. Oh, yeah, bro, yeah, yeah, I know, I know. But deep down, I don't think God heals. That's what's going on here. They just, even in the midst of truth, no, I, I can't do it. So from there, we're gonna fast forward seven through 12, five chapters. Here comes the plagues. First plague, water becomes blood. Second plague, frog. Third plague, lice, flies, livestock diseased, boils, hail, locusts, darkness. Tenth plague, death of the firstborn. It got bad from chapter seven through chapters 12. And yet Pharaoh still kept a hard heart. So in chapter 12, we see a very important thing though. We see the Passover instituted. If you've never read that before, at some time this week, go back to chapter 12. It's where God began to speak and say, this is what we're gonna do. Then we get the Exodus of Egypt in chapter 12, verse 31. And from that point on, there's time in the wilderness and then we see chapter 14, which shows us the Red Sea crossing. We've all seen the movie, right? Exodus chapter 14, verse 30. So the Lord saved Israel that day and out of the hand of the Egyptians and, saw, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Thus Israel saw the great work which the Lord had done in Egypt. So the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. All right, everyone sit up nice and tall. That is a lot of storytelling right there. But that's the, that's the basis of it. So if I take it and I put it into kind of like a headline, it's the title of what we're talking about today. They were in bondage and then they got delivered. A lot of stuff in between, but those are the big highlights. 
bondage, but God is good. He uses his servant. He uses Aaron. He does all he can, and then they get delivered. That's what we see. So, as I wrestled with that this week, so Lord, how do I and what do I talk about to our church family? What do I see in this story, God, that you would have me focus on? Because even in reading the story, I could tell you there are so many things that came to mind. Oh, I, I, I can go this way, or I can talk about that, or we could focus in on that. A lot of great truths. But, but here's what I felt the Lord directed me to do. I felt the Lord really directed me to talk about bondage and deliverance. But now, on a more personal level, to all of us, I want to make a statement to you. And I realize that in making this statement, um, we might wrestle with it. So what I want to do is I want to make a statement, and then I'm going to give you three points. I know, shocker, right? Three points. But I want you to hear me out. I'm not trying to make a, a pop statement. Ooh, I can't believe it. I'm not trying to do that. I'm going to make a statement, and then I'm going to show you clarity in Scripture where it comes from and why I believe it to be true. Because I think for a lot of us, whether we're in the room or watching online, we struggle with this, okay? All right, so everyone smile at me real quick. Call this a smile break, because it's gonna get a little heavy, okay? All right, here's my statement. I believe with all of my heart that there's a such thing as believers in bondage. I didn't say sinners in bondage. I said believers. I could use a different word, and it could be Christians. I believe all across the world and in our churches, there are Christians, believers, who are in bondage. Okay, that's my statement. Now, some of you might go like, oh, okay. And you might take it at face value because you know this is Pastor Rich and hopefully he studies the word of God and prays about things. And some of you might, but some of you might go disagree with you wholeheartedly. I, I don't believe that. There's no way that if a person is a Bible-believing Christian that they are in bondage. But I'm going to show you something. And it's not to show you something to prove you wrong. It's to show you something so that you begin to be very careful about how you conduct your life as believers and as Christians. Okay? Those who confess Jesus to be Lord have struggles that are beyond I just committed sin. They are struggles that have not been dealt with, and whether they realize it or not, it is now bondage to them. It's an undealt with sin issue. Okay, now, the reason I believe this to be true, and the reason that, that I think this statement needs to be made is because I believe, they believe, that Christians, because they are Christ followers, can't have bondage. I'm gonna show you, okay, so. Here's the, the question. Why are people in bondage, if that is the case? If bondage is real to a believer, why? Okay, number one, write this down. It's because of continued iniquity. Another word would be sin. Continued sin. Now, I realize 
that in preaching in sin or on sin, trust me, I get it. Not a popular message, but yet it destroys lives. You have to call it for what it is. Now, we are people of grace and truth. It's both and. Can't just be one or the other. A grace movement came all across the United States, and it created something that was dangerous. It created a lifestyle that said, because there is the grace of God, I can do what I want to do, because at the end of the day, God will forgive. They have not read their Bible. Paul said, should I sin that grace would abound. So this grace message went all the way across, and anytime you dealt with sin, you got called or labeled the person who was, well, you're just a mean pastor, or you're a mean Christian, or you have a religious spirit in you. No, Jesus said it himself, grace and truth. The reason why it comes across hard is because sometimes the people that pointed it out to you have zero relationship with you. So there's no relational equity. So your mindset goes, well, who is this person to say A, B, C, and D? Now let's flip it though. What happens when someone loves you, believes in you, has shared experience with you, memories with you, the good, the bad, the ugly, and they say, hey, that's wrong. How do you receive it? A lot better. Make sense? Okay. But here's why, as believers in bondage, this is true. Continued iniquity. Let's look at a famous verse. John chapter 8, verse 32. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Okay, start of the verse though. What's that first word in the verse? And. Uh-oh. What is it? Conjunction, conjunction. What's your function? Okay, hold on here. This says And. At the beginning of the verse. All right, so we're in the year of the Bible. Help each other understand the Bible. If there's an and, you got to go backwards. All right, let's go to verse 31. Who's Jesus speaking to? Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. All right, so let's identify. I said at the beginning of this message, I believe believers can be in bondage. Here it is. Jesus is speaking not to a group of sinners. He's speaking to a group of Jews who believed, and he's talking about sin. He's talking about, now, this is one of the best illustrations in the Bible of people being in bondage and being blind to the fact that they're in bondage. Ready? Verse 33. And they answered him, we are, uh-oh, Abraham's descendants. Oh, man. And have never, oh, man, how many of you guys know a marriage? You don't say the word Never. Or to your kids, you don't say the word never because it's really not true. It's an exaggeration. Ne- Thank you, Vanessa. Oh, <laughs> never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? Okay, so let's clear it out. Jesus is speaking to Jews who believe, and they're going, Whoa, 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 whoa. We are Abraham's descendants, we are of the faith. How could you say that? Now, if you read the Old Testament, you know they've been in bondage to everyone. They've been in bondage to the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, the Grecians, the Assyrians, 
And as we literally just read in Exodus, the Egyptians. And yet they say right here, we're of Abraham's descent. We've never been in bondage to everyone. You want to know a fun fact? At this time when they're speaking to Jesus, you know who they're in bondage to? The Romans. You want to talk about being blind to bondage. Right there. So Jesus decides to make it very clear who's in bondage. Verse 34. And Jesus answered and said to them, most assuredly I say to you, whoever commits, everyone say commits. Sin is a slave of sin. Okay, now let's break this down. If I sin today, okay, let's say I leave this place and I go out and I'm so hungry that I'm actually hangry. I'm driving down the road and I'm trying to get to the place because I have to eat outside still which makes me even more hangry. Is anybody else just like, can I just go inside of a restaurant, please? It's so windy. Okay, enough of that pity party, Rich. Let's say I go out. The person cuts me off. And I don't have self-control in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 through 24. <laughs> and I say something towards one of Christ's creation, by the way. Ah. That's what makes it more personal, by the way. Stop seeing people as people who are inept or able to do right and start seeing them the way God sees them. It'll probably save you a lot of words and having to ask for apologies. But let's just say, I just, I blow it. Am I a sin to slave? I'm not. Back up in the verse. Whoever commits. I love teaching God's word. That word commit literally means to devise a plan and to execute it. Watch. Jesus answered them, most assuredly I say to you, whomever commits sin is a slave to sin. So if I say today, I am going to go out and I am going to drive my vehicle and the very first person that cuts me off is gonna feel the wrath of Richard Shepherd Esteban Rodriguez III. <laughs> That's what I call myself when people ask what my name is. They're, they just look at me like, wait, what? I go, you'll get it later. <laughs> I went out with the intent of losing my cool to start a fight. Watch here. I am a slave to sin, which means I am in bondage. Okay, now track with me. I knew this message was going to go this way. So track with me. Is there something in your life that is contrary to God's word that you make a conscious decision to say, I will do this and follow through with it? may not apply to everybody in this room, but if there is, you are a believer who is in bondage. Do we understand that now? Okay, so that might not apply to you. It might not. It might just be, man, my flesh was weak. I'm not prayed up. I'm not in my word. That's probably why I don't have patience. That's probably why I don't have this. I don't have a group to talk with. I haven't brought my issues to the light. That's how it happens. So you could be 
a believer in bondage. Okay, verse 36. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Now hear me, this is not talking about salvation. What he's talking about is sonship versus slaveship. You could be a son or daughter of God and be free indeed or a slave to sin. It's your choice. And Jesus is saying, look, the whole reason I came was so that you could be set free. The story of the gospel never changes. Jesus came, he lived, he died, God raised him from the dead. He sits at the right hand of the Father praying for you and I. He wants all of us to come to know him as Savior. It's, it's that simple, okay? People say, you don't preach enough about the cross. Well, now I just did. Of course I do. All right, next point. Now remember, you gotta hear me out, okay? Number two, continued illness. Now this is gonna be tough, so I want you to track with me, okay? Hear me out. Why are believers in bondage or, or, or what? Because of continued illness. Now, continued illness can be, and it's not always, but it could be a sign that, that, that there's a door that's been opened and the enemy has come in and he's brought illness with them. Now, everyone look at me real quick, okay? Because I know this one's tense right here. So pastor, are you saying because I deal with illness? Are, are you saying because I'm sick, it's because of my sin? Look at me, wanna make this clear. Those of you watching online, no. I'm not saying that. Answer this question. Does God make you sick to teach you a lesson? No, he does not. And if anybody's ever taught you that, that's unbiblical. All good things come from God. So let me ask, let me ask this question. If God doesn't bring illness, then who does? Ah, the devil does. It's all throughout the Bible, y'all. Let me prove it to you. Luke chapter 13. Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity, 18 years, and was bent over and could, no, could in no way raise herself up. Verse 12. But when Jesus saw her, he called her to him and said to her, woman, you are loosed from your infirmity. Now, gentlemen, don't read that passage of scripture and think you can call your wife woman. Jesus did it. You ain't Jesus. <laughs> and trust me, if you think you're all, your wife will remind you real quick. So, so he said, woman, you are loosed. And watch here. And he laid his hands on her. And immediately she was made straight and glorified God. You know what's really cool about this passage of scripture? You'll see it in just a minute. You're going to see who Jesus is talking to. But when you read the New Testament, most of the time, Jesus would be walking through a place and people would call out to him. This time, Jesus calls out to her. Let me give you a little side lesson. He's always looking for a way to speak into your life and to help you. Jesus is looking at you. You say, but you don't know my sin. Well, he does, and he died for it. And he's always looking at you. He's a loving father. 
Secondly, we get asked a lot, why do we believe of laying hands on people and praying for them? And my answer is always, well, Jesus did it. Apostle Paul did it. There's even scenarios where they'd get prayer cloth and they'd anoint it with oil. And they'd go over to where the person is and they would put it underneath their pillow. There's been people in our church that we've done that very same thing where they're sick in body and can't come to church. And people can call it weird all they want. I see it in scripture, it ain't weird to me. And by the, by the way, if it is weird to others, it's supposed to be because the Bible says we're peculiar people, which is a translation of weird. We do things that to the world seems weird. Like, can you just own it and stop trying to hide from that? Like, it's, it's cool. So there's been times where someone has come up and said, Pastor, I have a friend who's sick. Can we pray? We'll pray. And then we'll, they'll bring some cloth and some anointing. We'll anoint it. We'll pray over it. And they'll go to their friend's house. And they'll do that. This past week, I sent out a message from our church line saying, how can we be praying for you? Prayer's important to us. Prayer works. Amen? So Jesus calls her out. I love it. He laid hands on her. Some of you, man, you need to, you need to let your church body pray for you. I'm not saying you have to bring it out to the light, like come up on this stage and say, hey, I'm dealing with A, B, C. I'm not saying that. But you need to let the church be the church. Some of you, man, I'm like, I find out like four days later, you like went to the hospital. I'm like, hmm. Either one, I'm not doing a very good job, or two, no one's ever taught you. Man, if that happens, can you let us pray for you? You let the church be the church? Send a text message. Get an airplane, put a banner, fly it across. I don't know. All right, moving on. So Jesus lays his hands on her. See, Pastor, I don't know about this whole idea of continued illness in the life of a believer. Verse 15. Because a bunch of people got mad because Jesus healed her. Watch here. So the Lord then answered him and said, Hypocrite. Does not each one of you on the Sabbath loose his ox or donkey from the stall and lead it away to water it? So ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound, for 18 years be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath, This was a believer. She was a child of Abraham. By the way, we talked about this a couple weeks ago. When you're a part of the faith, you're a child of Abraham. In the spiritual, not in the natural, maybe. I mean, that'd be adopted, grafted in. I mean, if you wanted, what are one of those tests you can do where you can trace your, man, they'd have to go a long way back. It's like ancestry.com times 10. I don't know. Are you guys getting what I'm saying? Bondage. Believers. Jesus says she's a son. I'm sorry, she's a daughter of Abraham. She's a believer. Now listen, I'm not saying that every time you get sick that it's tied to sin in your life. I'm not saying when you sneeze, you should say, come out, foul spirit. Although when the third sneeze comes, it's like, please stop. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying, though, is if you leave an open door to the enemy, 
sickness will come. He's the one who brings it. All right. Here's the great news. It's great news. If illness comes, something can take care of it. Jesus takes care of the spiritual roots that affect the natural. Because of the stripes on his back, we are healed. All right, number three, and we close. Number three. How does bondage come? Continued influence. Now, this is practical to all of us right here. Continued influence. John 15, 18. If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. This is like Jesus one up in the disciples. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I choose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. If you want to be in bondage to sin, let the world have influence over you. Psalm 1 Verse 1, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Two verses talking about where you choose to live your life. And all, listen, all it comes down, and it's not judgment, but I want to just ask you one question. How do I know if I'm in bondage because of continued influence, especially if it's the wrong, okay? Listen, here's the question. What has the most influence over your life? Listen carefully. What has the most influence? Is it God? Or is it culture? Think about it. What are you choosing to believe? Are you choosing to believe God in his word and base your life? That's, that's Psalm 1. Are you choosing to say that God's word has the final say in my life on every single subject of my life? What has more influence, God or culture? Or another way of word, and that would be the world. Okay, now bring this into your personal lives. Okay, get personal with this. What are you going through right now? What's your biggest struggle? What's your thought life like? What's your relationships like? What's your job situation like? What's your finances like? What's your heart like? Be, be personal with yourself here and ask yourself the question, what has more influence? Is it God? Or is it culture? A lot of people believe in the lies of culture. And they're in bondage because of it. They've allowed the wrong influence. And friends, I got great news for you. The Bible, why we are devoting the whole year to it, is so that when it comes to this question, you're able to say, God's word has the final say every single time. Some of us, we're dealing with 
And this is what I believe to be one of the biggest ones. Is you're dealing with emotional bondage. You say, what do you mean by that? I know you and you know me. Some of us are getting to know each other a, a little bit more. And when I look at you or even some of you online, hi. I, I don't see illness. I don't see the bondage of illness over you. But man, for some, man, I see the emotional wear and tear in your lives. Doubts, worry, anxiety, lack of trust. Those are some of the biggest bondages that people deal with. And it's all here. You know what I mean? And you, I say this humbly and respectfully, and you've bought into a lie that says, oh no, I'm allowed to, to carry that. No, you're not. No, you're not. Some of you, you feel so alone. It's like, well, I'm always going to be lonely. That's a lie. Some of you have taken the word worry and you've put it on you as a duty that you must carry. For some of you, it's because you're parents and you feel you have the right to worry. You have the right to be cautious, but the Bible very clearly says you don't have the right to worry. And every day for you is nothing but worry, 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 worry. Can I just say something to you real quick? Lovingly, stop it. Because if you're not careful, it will be bondage to you. I say this one specifically because of, dear goodness gracious, the past year of our lives. Anxiety, worry, and doubt, and mental health has hurt so many people in this year that now we're just saying, well, it's okay. Look at the world around us. You're not of the world. I'm not of the world. So let's stop living like the world. Okay? Let's be full of joy, full of peace, full of wisdom, full of faith. Let doubt, let fear, let worry, let anxiety, lack of trust, let all of it go we're children of God. Now, if you've got a deeper issue, it's time to bring it to the light and get some help and get some prayer. Last thing I have to say, last thing I promise, man, those preachers, man, as we get ready to close, last thing I want to say, let me just say this. I, I get it all. I do it all the time. If you knew half the conversations that were going on in my head right now, be like, Rich, just be quiet, pray, and let them go. They're hungry. I am not in any way saying that I believe in anyone in this church that you're in bondage. I don't look at you and go, ah, you can fake it pretty good, but you know what it is. I'm not. I just wanted God's word to speak to you today. And when I asked the Lord which way I should go with this, I was going to do a whole, a whole message on excuses because Moses had an excuse for everything. I didn't feel the Lord leading me that way. He's going to do a message on you can trust God in the process. Because there were a lot of times when it looked really bleak for the children of Israel. It's not what God... Bondage, deliverance. So that if you are in bondage, you can be set free today. 
If you're not in bondage, this is how you stay away from it.